0: hey y'all i'm kendall michelle haney and this is episode one of type in tunes since this is the first official episode of the podcast i thought it would be cool to talk to a writer about their scripting process to ask some questions about how they write an episode of animated tv and to me there was no one better to ask than nicole dubuque Nicole is an eight-time Emmy-nominated writer and executive producer slash showrunner. She walks us through a lot of her career in the episode, but just to give you an idea, she's written on a ton of amazing shows like Kim Possible, My Friends Tigger and Pooh, Miles from Tomorrowland, Star Wars Rebels, and Young Justice. And she's also created and or run shows like Transformers Rescue Bots, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, and The Rocketeer, and she is currently an EP on an upcoming show at Nickelodeon. She also received the WGA Animation Writers Caucus Animation Writing Award in 2018 for her incredible contributions to the medium, and uh, she's the best punster I know. So without further ado, here's my discussion with Nicole. Cole, thanks for being here and doing this. Hey
1: Kendall thanks for having me.
0: Of course I would love to start with your journey to animation writing. We can go as far back as you want (laughs) and I know you had an interesting Hollywood childhood so I'd love to hear how that played into anything and just how you got to where you are.
1: Sure thing and I love that you're starting with this question because it seems like everybody has a different journey. There's definitely no one-way magic pill how to get into this industry. Um, So yes, I actually, I started acting when I was three um, and uh, started out doing commercial work. um, And then I was on two series, um, Our House and Major Dad. And that took me up until I was 14. That's when I decided to really just focus on, okay, I'm going to be a regular teenager going Mm -hmm. to high school. Um, But because of that time, I had script format in my head from an early age, you know, memorizing lines, mm-hmm. um, being on the set, seeing how things were made, seeing how scripts got rewritten on the fly and you were just suddenly handed new pages, go do the mm-hmm. scene now. Um, sidebar, I think this gives me a very good short-term memory and also the ability to wipe <laughs> large swaths of things from my brain long-term um, because it's all about what episode are we doing now? What show are we on yes. now? What interview is this? And yeah. then mail it for that and then just let it go. <laughs> yes. That sounds so, like a healthy, uh, uh, healthy way to live. I don't know. It really bites you in the butt when you're on a panel and someone's asking you about a show you wrote on 10 years ago and you're like, oh my God, what was that mythology? Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so I always kind of had that background in, uh mm-hmm. in that kind of storytelling for television. And I really enjoyed making small films with my friends in high school. We shot our own version mm-hmm. of Jurassic Park. Um nice. I was really interested in being a director, so I went to some summer camps for film and shot a werewolf movie and just really <laughs> loved every moment of it. I spent t- tons of time editing. Editing was just delightful and still continues to be like one of my favorite parts of the process, I oh, think. interesting. Yeah, because I think that that's when you really can nail comic timing, yeah. Um, and then you find different ways of storytelling from all the images you have in front of you, just mm-hmm. shuffling them can change or heighten what you planned on the page, so. Sidebar again, apologies, um but uh, yeah, but my parents were like, You're not going to film school, we want you to get you know a degree in something else first, and then you can pursue maybe a master's in film, but you know, just get wow, even yeah. with your
0: background, they yeah, just-
1: yeah, I think I think they knew you know it's a it's an industry where we roll the dice a lot, you know, yeah, a lot of it is about luck being at the right place at the right time, being ready at that time, being what they're looking for at that time, yes, um, and uh. And so I think that they were just trying to kind of manage that and say, absolutely pursue this, but have something else that you can rely mm-hmm. on if you need to. So so yeah, so I went to uh school and I started out as um as a pre-med uh major with a biology track. And although I've always enjoyed biology, I was just having no problem slam dunking the English courses yes. and organic chemistry and physics lab, you know, and like um, multivariable calculus at that point were just like, they were taking a lot more work, Yeah, right? And so I kind of came around to realizing that I was loving the English portion of my education and enjoying the other side, but not as much. So I switched mm-hmm. my major to English. I finished the pre-med courses um, because if you put that much effort to pass Orgo, you're gonna finish <laughs> the freaking pre-med courses. Uh, yeah. um, and so, and then I, I uh, pretty much just kind of kept writing for myself. Uh, there, and I I was, they had a few uh, classes for writing, for creative mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. and my stuff would keep kind of getting turned away, because I was writing a lot of fantasy, and that's not really what Yale University was looking for at that yeah, time, yeah, yeah. for their creative, you know, it, it was, you know, they wanted more personal stories, and, mu- you know, mining the human condition, yes. and uh, and maybe not people transforming into wolves. So anyway, uh, I did get into a daily themes class in my senior year. And the idea was that you wrote every day, you would write on just a different wow. prompt
0: cool. and I
1: absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, I still wasn't considering writing as a career, but see now from where I'm at now, looking back, it's like, well, of course, that's what you did. Cause you loved it. And it yeah. makes sense. So, uh, right out of college, I ended up taking a job, um, at com. Uh, job in San Francisco because it was kind of during the boom there, boom <laughs> and bust. And uh, I got that job because see, okay, so again, we're going to go on a sidetrack here because I think this is do. really yeah. an interesting thing about who you meet in the industry or even not in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, back back in time, my uncle was taking a trip, a bike riding trip in Patagonia, and he ended up spending some cycling time on the last day with a woman who was an executive at Disney Animation. And he said, my niece loves animation, <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> right? Because you have to go to Patagonia for this part of the journey. Um, and, uh, you know, I always had watched cartoons. I was a yeah. huge Disney file. And so he said, would you mind if she reached out to you? And, you know, cornered on a bicycle in the middle of nowhere, she said yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Iramers. Um, And so I had contacted her and reached out and talked about how much I love this. And she also had gone to the same school as I did. So we had that connection. Um, And she said, you know what? I could get you an internship at Disney online. Mm. And so this was in between my junior and and senior year of college. And so I took that internship and uh, it was, I was living in Orange County with my family in the summer. It was up in uh, North Hollywood and I did not have a driver's license. Oh boy. So um, this is kind of one of those things about like, when you get the opportunity, you make the opportunity work. Yes. So I would, my, my dad would drop me off at the Metro station. I would take two metros and two buses and I would get there um, every day to get to this job, which How long I did absolutely love. Oh, I think I had to budget like two and a half hours.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. But you know, I use the time to read, you yeah. know, and think and doodle Mm because I still really liked drawing at that time too. Um, And then, uh, and then, yeah, so I had this, this amazing summer meeting, all these creative people creating content with Disney characters, and, you know, they, they let me do some short scripts for some of the games that they were producing. Yeah. And um, I got to work on this huge project called the the 13 days of Halloween I created for them, uh, (laughs) bringing together all the villains. And this was like a really big deal, right? Because Disney wouldn't let their characters from different worlds interact. Yeah. So we had the villains seated around this table and we got the note from on high. No, the villains cannot sit around the table (laughs) because it implies that they're in the same universe. Okay. Yeah. So like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Is the whole project scrapped? And then we brainstormed and brainstormed. And the idea was well, what if it was a cauldron that implied magic was in play? Great. If magic's in play. Sure. Well, there's some deniability. We got like yeah. maybe some Kingdom Hearts levels going on here yeah, that yeah, yeah. perhaps they could come together. So, anyway, that's what we ended up doing. And it was a big um, online game experience, and that every day a villain would have a challenge for you. Um, Amazing.
0: And you love Halloween. So I'm sure And I love
1: Halloween. Exactly. So it was like, okay, this is amazing. And at the end of that, I was like, I don't want to go back to college. I want to do this right now. Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. No. Um, So yes. Anyway, now back to San Francisco, Kira had joined um, one of her bosses from Broderbund, um, the game company, and he had launched this company called UBUBU. And um, they brought me on as a producer of content for that. And the concept of UBUBU was that you know your brain works kind of in a, as a 3D model for where you place things. Your memories are tied to space uh, location. And mm-hmm. so instead of just having a list of bookmarks, what if you had a 3D model with bookmarks all over it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what we did. We would populate these globes with a bunch of different icons that you could click that would take you to different links. So I could say, I'm gonna give you the globe that's all about gaming and it has all the links you need to know if you're a gamer and you can add your own special icons and this and that and companies would pay to have their special icon on there. Right? So I curated content for them. Uh, I did that for about six months and then (laughs) we had a pink slip party. Oh Um, no. I know. So I was stuck in San Francisco and I had to pay for my apartment. So I took a job in medical billing um, what? <laughs> which is the natural progression of things. Uh, no. So anyway, I paid the bills and I spent yeah. that time really watching a lot of cartoons and starting to break down scripts and thinking about writing. Because one of the things that had happened at UBU was I was surrounded by people that had come from gaming and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they really urged me to consider writing for animation because of what I liked and because of my humor style and because of all of those freaking puns I kept using. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, when, uh, when I moved back, when I'd finished up my six months in San Francisco, Kira set me up with, um, her boss, Jay Fukuto at, uh, at Disney. And he met with me and talked to me about what I wanted to do. And so he set up a meeting with Mark McCorkle and Bob Schooley, who were there, our producers and showrunners mm-hmm. at Disney at the time. And they met with me and said, Hey, we have this show. Um, and we would, uh, We'd love for you to have a chance to, you know, maybe work on it, but we just finished season one. So here, take the Bible and here's a couple episodes and, you know, write a spec. And if we get picked up, we'll take a look at it. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, so I had them kind of giving me that prompt to write the script. And at the same time, I'd reached out to a bunch of my contacts from my earlier days on major dad, people Mm -hmm. who were producers to kind of get their advice too. Cause I decided I'm going to give this screenwriting thing a try. I thought, Um, was it? pretty focused on animation at
0: that point or was it more no. just general screenwriting you're happy to do it all
1: yeah it was general screenwriting it was um i was really like kind of thinking about live action at the time because that was okay. what most of my experience had been in yeah um you know i mean being on the other side of the camera um so i uh, i reached out to a gentleman named rick Oakey who was one of the producers on major dad and he also gave me a prompt he basically said well what do you have and i'm like uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and he said, look, if you want to be a writer, show me you can write. Yeah, And it was great and direct and absolutely something I should do. So he gave me a prompt to write uh, Gilmore Girls spec, And I was yes. fantastic. I have not seen this show. I will become a Gilmore You hadn't Girl seen it at the time? No. You know, I really didn't watch a lot of TV. It's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so. Huh. There's a certain thing about when you're in television that makes it hard to watch say for instance sitcoms i know gilmore girls yeah um, that makes sense and my parents really didn't let me watch tv growing up it was like if you were in it you could watch it yeah Um, and then also i would get like maybe a half an hour a day that i could choose and so usually that would be an animated program i'd watch Murphy brown was a big one quantum leap i got i was able to watch an hour long so anyway, I went to the Writers Guild Library, which is a fantastic oh. resource that I can't Love say that enough place.
0: about. Yeah. Isn't
1: it great, right? Yeah. So um, they have a ton of scripts on file that you can just sit there and read. You can't, you can't check them out, you can't Xerox them, but you can sit there and read them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then they have
1: tons of tapes of episodes. So you can look at the script and sometimes scripts from different you know drafts to see what changed in shooting um, and see how things got executed. And so I made a study of CSI and Gilmore Girls.
0: Awesome. And
1: went there, um, taking my buses. Actually, by then I think I, I had my driver's license, <laughs> so I didn't have a car yet. But if I could get the borrow the car, that I can do that. Um, and I went online too because fans are incredible about giving you information yes. about a show. So yeah. fans had written down um, basically the record drafts of the Gilmore Girls mm. episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I had those constantly with me, even if I didn't have the script format, but I did go to the guild, take notes on that format because, you know, if you're writing a spec script, you really want it to be in the format of the show yes. because the first thing that'll make you look like a newbie is if you, if you haven't taken the time to see how many pages they are,
0: yeah. you know, uh,
1: what the margins are, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I made that my project for the next year. I wrote those three scripts, the CSI, the Gilmore Girls, and, uh, Kim Possible, which was the show that Mark and Bob were working on. And um, Rick Oakey loved Gilmore Girls Spec, and he uh, he introduced me to uh, a couple of agents that didn't really pan out. You know, I had some meetings with them and um, one gentleman k- kind of came at me and said, well, what's your story? You have to be marketable. How have you suffered? Oh, and geez. that was kind of a turn off and unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so- uh, Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but the Kim Possible thing was really what ended up landing because Mm. Mark and Bob, in fact, did get a second season and Mm -hmm. they read the spec and they, they liked it and wanted to give me a chance. So they took me on as an apprentice staff writer, which is a great thing that the guild offers, the animation guild offers is this position. Yeah. To bring you on. And it's not as at the same um, salary level as a staff writer, but it, it it does give you some scripts and it gives you the chance to learn. And that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing is to see how a room works, to see who speaks when and why, to yes. see um, you know, what you can what you put in your script and how it affects the artists, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very important to to be knowing that what you write down, somebody's going to have to execute. And how can you make your job easier? Yes. Um,
0: and what's so, impossible and we'll get you yelled at by the line
1: producer. Exactly. For example. Exactly. <laughs> right. Or, you know, if you're super new to the industry, right? Like what's a line producer? You know? Yes. Yeah. What is the coordinator in charge of, you know, um, and who's in the room? Like, this is another thing too. There are certain levels of who's allowed to be in the room and how, what's the etiquette when you're invited to a record session? Yes. Um, so I, for me, it was a wonderful way to learn. And, uh, I got to, they actually made my spec. We got to, Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was huge and awesome. And, um, from what I hear, something that never happens. Um, and then I got to write a bunch of episodes and, uh, train under some incredible story editors, including um, Gary Sperling, Mm -hmm. who um, he unfortunately passed away during the time that I was on the show, but he was a tremendous mentor to me. And Tom Hart, also a fantastic mentor, Mm -hmm. um, and Mark and Bob themselves, who are hilarious and manage to share one brain. It's incredible. (laughs) It's like Gantz and Mandel, I'm guessing. It's just that kind of level of just completing each other's jokes. Yeah. And and a a miracle to watch. so yeah, so that was my, that was kind of my big break in. Yeah, so excited. Yeah. And then the show wrapped for that season and I was ready to go and there was nothing. Just like, yeah, picture the tumbleweed going across the <laughs> empty highway. Um, so I had no idea what to do next. So, you know, I was trying to find people to talk to, but I hadn't made a whole lot of contacts because I'd really been focused on this show and these people and people yeah, were nice yeah. they'd write back to me oh hi how you doing but not handing me jobs right so uh my next kind of big break and I feel like there's always the second break too because it's pretty rare that you just keep rolling forward you know yeah. and sometimes the second break's harder yeah um, and uh I, I ended up going to comic-con I'd kind of had my ear to the ground about like all the different things that you could do to talk to other writers. And mm-hmm. one of them used to be the, the tag Christmas party where everyone was invited. You didn't even have to be a member. Now it's sadly different, but then in those days you could just go and talk to people, yeah. um, show up. And so I chatted with folks there and that's kind of when I learned about Comic-Con. And so I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I'll go down to Comic-Con. And uh, I got to go to the animation Guild might've been the writer's guild schmooze. I can't remember which one exactly, but I got to one of those and I met Dean Stefan. Mm-hmm. and um, Dean's uh, daughter was a huge fan of Kim possible. So he wanted to chat with me. about oh, that. God. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I actually, I have a little swag I'll send her. And
0: nice. uh,
1: Dean was just about to story edit. I think it was season four of dragon tales. And he said, if you're interested, I'll let you come and pitch. And if any of your, you know, story stick, then we'll talk about a freelance thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went to this pitch with him. We were, We were in, I don't even remember why it was here, but it was in the courtyard of some hotel and he had all the writers there outside of the table and we were just all pitching ideas. And I volunteered to take notes for him because he hated taking notes. And this is another kind of hint that I would like to give people that are trying to break in. Make yourself useful. Yes. You know, any way you can. Offer to take the notes. Offer, you know, to make this person's job as easy as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, and this will come up later when Dean asks me, well, I'm going to fax these notes over to you. What's your fax number? And I go, oh my God, I don't have a fax number. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm away from home right now. I'll give it to you when I get back. So went out and bought a fax machine, got him the fax number, never told him. He doesn't need to Nicole! know. Story editor's life needs to be easy. Yeah. Don't ever tell them the drama. Just make it happen. <laughs> um, so... Um, anyway yeah uh he really appreciated my notes um ended up having me write a bunch of dragon tales for him offered me a job on jackie chan adventures when he Mm -hmm. got on that and this is kind of when i started working in the sphere of jeff klein because klein was producing dragon tales and uh and then when you do something that people like they remember you yeah and so one of the other story editors on dragon tales um Uh, asked me to write for their show and then Jeff Klein kept me in mind and so then he brought me in to interview when he got my friends Tigger and Mm -hmm. Pooh over at Disney and Dean again was story editing so Dean had good things to say and from there it just became that I had known so many people on different shows we would start we'd stay in contact and they'd reach out if they had something that came up and and then kind of moving forward from there so so yeah that was a my first staff job at my friend's Tigger and Poo after the apprentice staff writing thing. And, um, I ended up getting an agent around there that time. I think it was uh, about maybe three years into the career. Cause you don't really need an agent when you start out. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can, you can do that later. And then when you start negotiating things, that's really when you're yes. going to want the agent. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people say, well, you know, how do I hook an agent? And one of the best ways to get an agent is to have an offer on the table that you can bring to your agent and say, mm-hmm. look, people want to staff me. Yeah. Would you represent me? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then from there, I ended up uh, becoming a story editor and then eventually an executive producer. And that is my long <laughs> convoluted <the> journey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you touched on it when you were first starting out, you were still looking into live action and stuff. And I know you've written some since mm-hmm. then. Do you find you approach them differently? Animation and live action? I mean, story is story, of course, but do you approach the actual scripting differently at all? Or do you think animation is, is different? It
1: takes a different style? Uh, I think that for me, writing is writing. And um, what I would say is that for animation, for live action, for writing novels, it's a different set of rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that you just need to remember what set of rules you're working under and what set of asks you have to fulfill. So in animation, of course, we're going to be putting much more on the page in the form of direction and acting because, you know, we're helping artists create those characters. Whereas in live action, those are actual people that are going to be making choices. So, um, you know, you're not going to dictate to an actor necessarily the same way that you might to a voice actor who's just coming in and reading this role and Mm -hmm. not having to, you know, um, block themselves. So... uh, I'd say like that for that, that's an uh, example. I am certainly not gonna direct on the page in live action. Uh, you get your hand slapped for that. Yeah, and yeah. it's easy to get uh, very flowery in your language if you are considering, if you're thinking in a novel mindset and you start writing action lines
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: in your animation script for instance. So um, this is why the the big kind of frustration that exists, I think between writers guild and animation guild jobs, I'm a member of both guilds. I don't turn off a piece yeah. of my brain to work on one or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's all writing. So that's my take.
0: Uh, I completely agree. What about any favorite cartoons you had growing up that have informed your, your writing?
1: <laughs> sure thing. I mean, there's a lot of really special ones. Um, I loved Thundercats. I loved the real Ghostbusters. Just was mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. over the moon with the storytelling <laughs> of that. Um, and uh, then the Disney afternoon was a really big deal for me. Yes, uh, so i watched quite a bit of that. Um, Gargoyles, especially Tailspin. I watched The Tick with my father. And this is the kind of lucky thing for me is that my, my dad always loved animation as well. So it was never oh, thought wow. of like, yeah, I feel really lucky. He's like, you can, yeah, cartoons are legitimate storytelling. As you would say, like, sometimes they're more clever than the other stuff on <laughs> television, you know, um, Whereas one of my friends actually was not allowed to go see The Little Mermaid with me because her mother said, oh, you're too old for cartoons now, which I think is heartbreaking.
0: Um,
1: You know, and this is, again, back to story is story. Good story is story, no matter the Uh, medium, right? And animation is not a genre. It is a medium.
0: Yes. What about stuff uh, you've written? Do you have any favorite episodes or characters? I don't know.
1: It's hard. I mean, um, I really like the season finale of season three of rescue bots, because we thought we were ending the show. We didn't mm. think we were really going to pick up. And so I think it was, it was due at the same time as my wedding. And so there was so much emotion <laughs> in me at that time. I feel like I poured it out on the page in this, you know, goodbye love letter to these characters who meant so much to me. And I, I think probably the rescue bots are some of my, my favorite characters that yeah. I've gotten to create. Um, just because their personalities are so they're so clear-cut I know if I put them in a room I know exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to react and I feel like they still live with me in that regard so yeah that's something I'm super proud of you know sometimes when you get to write for something that you love you you have a certain joy about that getting to write for a Grand Admiral Thrawn and in the Star Wars universe was incredible for me um you know, Young Justice has certainly given me a chance to, I think I cry every time I write a script for Greg Weissman because it's just like, it's so passionate and there's so much going on. Yeah. Uh, characters and, you know, but uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff I love. Of course, you know, we, we had a lot of fun on Rocketeer. You oh know. yeah. How about you? Do you have a, a specific script you're super proud of or, or what characters oh, that you've created that you love? Well, on Rocketeer,
0: Deanie. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <I'd> never apologize. <laughs> Orsino, the magician, and then Dini his assistant. I was like, oh, I hope they come back, but like this will be a funny one-off joke slash scene for these guys. And then the fact that it carried on through the whole uh season was hilarious to me. Other episodes. I love um I got a chance on Lion Guard to write a death episode
1: which oh wow yeah especially
0: for preschool was pretty cool um the whole circle of life thing yeah was fun to lean into and explore yeah um everything else will take years to see a screen so (laughs) (laughs) i understand uh but those those (laughs) years (laughs) yeah those two stick out one other fun question i want to ask everyone who comes on is your favorite part of the process and least favorite step? So do you have strong feelings against springboards and love <laughs> premises or what
1: What do you find? No, it's a, this is a great question. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking about it and I'm surprised that I have like a very passionate answer. Yes, um, I knew you would. <laughs> outlines are the worst. Yeah, Outlines are so necessary and that's where you do all the hard work, yes. at least for me in yep. my writing style. Right. Because that's where I have to justify how I'm going to show a character's feelings without just saying, like, you know, they clearly feel this way. Like, no. (laughs) What will they say or do to let the audience know that Um, transitions between scenes um, and between dialogue? I try to lay all that groundwork and work that all out there Mm -hmm. um, and do the heavy lifting and outline. So which makes scripting my favorite part of the process, because then with a solid approved outline, you know, then you just get the chance to embellish on what you have. Not break from what you have, but sometimes jokes will present themselves because you spent all the logic time already. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel. You know, premise is great too, because it's just, it's also pie in the sky that you can say nebulous things like TBD action sequence and fly (laughs) right past that. Yeah. (laughs) That's an outline problem. (laughs) So yeah. How about you similar? Uh,
0: Yeah pretty similar I think springboard and premise are sometimes a struggle for me to condense the thoughts into such a short thing Mm -hmm. but I would say yeah outline toughest takes me the longest takes me longer than script usually and then script is the fun the fun see how many puns we can put in there
1: (laughs) right do you want to go check your pie (laughs) Yes, I do. I'm so it's concerned about the pie. <laughs> this is perfect. No, it's, it's okay. been in for like an hour. Okay, I will be right back. Okay.
0: So you set up uh, our topic for today perfectly by saying you love taking your outline into scripting. Oh, great. Because this is the first episode, I wanted to talk to you about your scripting process yes. and sort of the nitty gritty of how we do this. Sure. So to start, before we get into maybe your actual process, I'm just curious if, you know, when we're hired for a job, we're required to outline. That's Mm -hmm. a big step so everyone can approve it. But if you're working on your own stuff or back when you did specs, maybe, did you outline or would you just jump right in?
1: That is so interesting um, because when I did my own stuff, I think I feel like on Gilmore girls, I did not have an outline and it was just happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am a hardcore outliner. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that that get my first, you know, kind of go forward. I, I wasn't doing that. I probably did something like just bullet points. Um, I'm not a note card user. So I really, okay. I rely on my, my paper and my pen and I I do bullet points. Okay. You know, um, by and, hand, uh, by I'm hand, by hand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. Old school. But there's something for me. Um, and, you know, writing becomes very fetishistic in a way. You, you get to the thing of like you have certain cues yeah. that get you into that zone. And because we're all trying to get into that zone, anything that helps you kind of cross the boundary, you embrace. Yes. So, yeah, having that pen, sitting down and writing, you know, just notes is a great way for me to start. Even when I'm going to go from premise to outline, I think I, I start with that. Nowadays, I am I'm totally an outliner. a big okay. fan of
0: that. Yeah. Even if it's like your own, I don't even know if you occasionally write your own things anymore or <laughs> you're so busy with other things. But if you were to sit down and like work on a pilot,
1: I'm yeah, do you have an outline that you have to I turn would,
0: in first? Or
1: I would oh, see, probably wouldn't be like something to turn in. I doubt that I would do like a slug line outline, probably. Yeah, I would probably again just be doing these bullet points so I know what needs to happen by when and kind of track where characters are mentally. Yeah. Um and then also that gives me the chance to jot down any dialogue or notes um for, you know, a possible joke here kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um do you do you like outlines? I mean, like if you were doing your own stuff.
0: Yeah, I feel like um I've tried to just jump into script mm-hmm. weirdly, if it's an idea I'm most excited about, like mm-hmm. I might just jump into a script and then I immediately regret it because mm-hmm. it becomes clear why we outline why. Uh, <laughs> Or it'll be something that I potentially never finish because it mm-hmm. it doesn't have that foundation. Like I've, you know, I've got plenty
1: of unfinished scripts that had I outlined first, I might've <laughs> completed. Yeah. Um, Do you ever go back to the kind of the script graveyard and and work on something? I have yeah.
0: occasionally. Oh. It can be very painful, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I um, usually around this time of year, I'll go back through old files, you know, and just uh-huh. start the year of like, was there anything good here I could resurrect this year right. or should it stay in the graveyard no uh most should stay
1: <laughs> in the gra- no. well, i don't know i mean even then kendall i feel like sometimes we write something and there's a piece of it that we end up reworking into something else you know like, yes. a lot of times writers have a very very important stories that they keep telling over and over again because that is you know either what they need to learn or what they want to put in the world
0: yes the thing we aren't solving in therapy yet that we need
1: to <laughs> work out on the um, page I just I read Becoming Superman, which is the autobiography of J. Michael Straczynski, which oh, was a, cool. a pretty fantastic read. And there's a part that I really loved in that he comes around to this point where he gives himself permission to not necessarily write the thing that he feels like he has to write because he gives hmm. himself permission to be ready to write it. And I think sometimes we have great ideas um, that maybe aren't quite ready for us to tell yet. And so we're still kind of mulling them around because I'm I'm also a big believer in the idea that you use your brain is kind of a slow cooker. And so you can be marinating on a script in the background a lot of the time. Um, Even if you're not sitting down writing, you're thinking, once you put that in your head, it's being worked on.
0: Mm -hmm. Does you, once you're launched to a script, then do you usually wait a few days to really get into it or do you jump in right
1: away? Oh, I have to wait. (laughs) I have to wait some time. And what's funny for me is that um, the front end is, um, heavy loaded for me because it's like, I'll sit down with that outline that I've gotten approved and I'll go through with my pen and I'll now jot notes on the outline. And again, this is like where perhaps to, to, to deal with notes, maybe, you know, to start working out some of the problems that have come up from the notes um, or to, you know, revise some dialogue or I think up some new jokes, but again, I want it to be this document that I can just get to script. So that first day is really me sitting with the outline the second day is writing the teaser. And I know it's gonna take me a day to write the teaser. Like even doing the title page sometimes feels monumental because you yeah. are starting on this journey. Yes. Right?
0: Yeah, and it won't be blank anymore, which is like-
1: Right. I just gotta get over that hurdle. Just gotta get past. Yeah, started. and then when people ask you, you can say, yeah, I totally started. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then for me, like usually the first act will take the longest. Um, because the way that I work in my process is every day I start back at page one Yeah. and I read through and I refine and I read through and I refine. So, um, by the time I have gotten to the third act, I know where I'm going. Everything has momentum. That usually comes out in a great rush for me. Okay. Um, and I'll do an editing pass before it goes out, but I've been editing as I go constantly. So usually that's done. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of my style. So you're not jumping around ever? You I just cannot that? do it. I cannot yeah. do it. And then there's also like this weird like reward system of you can't jump to the easy scene. You have to slog through the hard scene and then you're surprised by an easy scene. This yes, is how I treat yeah. notes too, by the way. When I print them out in a list, <laughs> I have to do them in order. You yes. know, how about you? Can you, a lot of people can. A lot of people can write out of order or TBD here.
0: Yeah, I jump around a bit um mm-hmm. especially the first couple days just to get something on the page is such uh-huh. a big mind hurdle for me that uh-huh. if I know there's a scene that I already have very clearly yeah. I I usually start at the beginning but I will pretty quickly then jump to that one so that mm-hmm. I know like I've got something sure it brings me comfort
1: yeah that's
0: and similarly with notes if I've got a long list I'll usually knock out the easy ones. Mm-hmm. first and then let the uh larger ones sort of slow cook uh-huh right <laughs> and so that I can sort of hope
1: I wake up the next day with a
0: with mm-hmm. a fix Uh um, right. miraculously
1: yeah uh but, but I, also the shower technique right do you, do you use oh, that yeah. Because- okay yeah good ideas in the shower
0: yes which has become increasingly helpful during our work from home times where I can just middle of the day shower if I have a big problem I need to fix. Right?
1: Perfect. It's, and I tell you, I have a theory about that too, which is that it's kind of like you enter the dream state because first there's the water and the unconscious and, you know, you close your eyes,
0: right? Yeah. And I think
1: that that just like forces it. Um. Anyway. I like that. I like
0: <laughs> that. Do you work straight from the outline? Do you, are you a copy and paste from- Word into final draft writer, or no,
1: I cannot copy paste. So, for me, typing is actually part of the process. So, I will type everything, look at the outline, type everything. Try not to use the same phraseology too, unless it's the perfect one uh, for the action lines. Because I think that you know, you have the same people with their eyes on it over and over again, you don't want them to feel like they're bored because they've read it before. It's still good content, but maybe if they've seen it before, they think, Oh, uh, um that, and I don't use um, placeholder dialogue. I I always kind of bristle when you get that note that this is placeholder because it's like, no, I thought about that. Yeah. You know, I, I try to only put in an outline um, dialogue that tells you something about the character, like maybe establishes their voice, uh, a good joke mm-hmm. or something that cannot be written clearly another way. Sometimes it's just easier to make a dialogue than explain this whole thing. Yes. Um, so yeah, that, that thought all went in at the outline process.
0: And that dialogue you are pulling directly, you're retyping it, but it's, it's carrying straight over.
1: It is. Although this is when um, we start talking about script length, right? Because sometimes what worked there will not work on the page and, and you start to discover, Oh, I don't need to have that many words, mm-hmm. or I can accomplish this with a wry look and one word, for instance, yeah. like, that's when you'll start to feel it. And for me, when I'm writing, every phase that I'm writing, I, I can go be in the room and be in the scene and see mm-hmm. it happening, um, but uh, I think it's script, it just becomes even more clear because you're working super hard to present the image and the action lines.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so when you're, you might be seeing it from a different way. And this is again, why I wouldn't just copy paste that stuff because I want to reevaluate it with those eyes.
0: Yeah, as uh, when you're not the writer, when you're the story editor, and or ep can you tell when someone just copy and pasted and and how do you feel
1: (laughs) would you instruct your writers to please don't do that please don't do that writers um a lot of times we write outlines for different reason than we do scripts and so you're selling a different product at outline and you don't need that in the script necessarily Sometimes it feels lazy if someone just does that. A lot of times they'll miss the proper spacing. You won't have the carriage returns you need to change the camera up if you're just putting in a block of text. Yeah. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I I encourage people not to do that. Um, Just my preference. Yeah. That's the thing, I should have put this caveat at the very beginning of this podcast is that all these views are just my own. There are a million ways to write a script story. edit, Like, And this journey is just my own, so. Yeah. Not meant to dictate to anybody.
0: No, I think it's. I find it both comforting, but sometimes frustrating that we all have such different journeys and preferences. Because I'm sure. such a type A. That in some ways I'm like, just tell me the steps and
1: the <laughs> the way we all do this. And can every show be the same? That would be so satisfying. Now, do you? No, I'm not going to give you a hard time if you do. But no, no, do, no, you no. do you? In your, I oh, I sure.
0: um will sometimes start that way. But I also bristle if it's the exact same. So again, right. it, it's more of a, um, a coping <laughs> mechanism to not have a blank page. But uh-huh. then I'll go in and end up changing all of the action anyway. Gotcha. Because I agree, the way you write for an outline in sort of that prose format, it's not as dynamic mm-hmm. when you get to a script and you're writing the action. You want it to be usually quicker and snappier and. Right, read more like a shot. Right. So I think it just naturally should and has to change. What about um, action versus dialogue? Do you prefer one or the other?
1: You know, that's a day-to-day thing. I gotta say, like some days I am ready to just write the hell out of an action sequence. Yeah. And um, and some days I just want to do wordplay with characters. Um, so yeah, they're both satisfying in in different regards, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I find
0: action comes more naturally. Like I can mm-hmm. usually get through that quicker. Than
1: the dialogue I have to sit with. I don't know mm-hmm. if you feel similarly. What's fun is in an action sequence, I feel like, um, oddly, dialogue will come very easy in, when I'm writing an action sequence. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm watching it as I'm I'm kind of just like writing down what I see. Yeah. And so the characters can just interject because they're there. Yeah. Like it makes any sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. Have you seen the movie soul yet? Yeah. Yeah. So I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't, who's listening to this, but the, uh, the conceptualization of when you get in flow state is pretty amazing and dead on, you know? Yes. Um, and so that's what I think about when we're talking about action sequences and getting into that, you know, characters just telling you what they're saying.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you have any, I shouldn't say weird rules, but weird rules about, uh, dialogue versus action length on the page like do you want you know each shot should be its own sort of paragraph in the action don't go past four or five dialogue lines like what's your
1: yeah i mean those are those are all kind of good kind of boundaries for yourself i think to set Um, yeah i you know i i'm a big fan of carriage return whenever the camera changes um Mm -hmm. and i think that that makes a script that's a little bit more honest too and as far as length yeah Um, when I was working for Greg Weissman when we started out, um, we actually called out every single camera shot and angle um, in the action lines. and then you know there are some shows that ask you not to do that. so also it's right. it's all about finding out what your story editor wants and following mm-hmm. um, you know kind of their dictates because when you're when you're working on someone else's show, you are achieving the showrunner's vision. that is your job, right? And so you're bringing your creative chops to that task, but at the same time, you have to play within that framework yeah. Um, but for me, you know, when I'm when I'm story editing a show, um, I do like to see those carriage returns. I I try to keep dialogue under four to five lines, as you said. Um, sometimes it just you break it up with an action line or a parenthetical, just some kind of beat that stops it um, from being a barrage of words. And I think if you challenge yourself to be the actor as you're putting on the page and you think about how would I deliver this as an actor, you'll find those natural pauses places, you know, chances to look at another character um and I feel like I'm very lucky to have that acting background because that is how I approach a lot of my dialogue um, Mm -hmm. is is playing each role Um, and and yeah that's uh what are the other rules oh so rules (laughs) rules change based on how long your script is too right because I am a big advocate of uh, personally I'm not asking anyone else to do this I do double spaces after a period Right, but when that script is long and the extra space will shove it into another line, well, heck, yes. that space is going out. Um, yeah. Maybe there's a maybe there's a five letter version of the seven letter word you have that gets it up a line, <laughs> yes. right? So that's when those things kind of start to to come into play and things get shorter because they have to.
0: Yeah. Anything to get rid of the widows slash orphans.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Do you have a preferred length for eleven minute and twenty two minute? If you're sort of setting that boundary for the show
1: this is interesting because this is an area of hot debate i have recently discovered yes it is not know it was yeah you learn from your predecessors you do what they do yeah um but i think it's really really important for the story editor the showrunner to be having conversations with the directors who are talking to the board artists we have to have that as well um to find out are scripts coming in too long right um or do we need more support like if 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 you're not on a board driven show and you're asking board artists to do problem solving and writing, then you're not doing your job as a story editor.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so generally, um, our my little pony scripts were, uh, about 27 to 28 pages okay. and dialogue no longer than 204 lines, because that's another way to go by, right. Is yeah. the dialogue count for length of script. So, um, so that's kind of what I try to hew to, but sometimes, right, you'll get notes that bump out pages um, yeah. on your network, right? And you're writing a bunch of stuff about all the safety equipment people have on, a giant paragraph, <laughs> is yes. not actually making the script longer, although it will appear longer, right? So yes. again, constant communication, I think, to make sure the scripts are coming in at the right length so people aren't doing extra work that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Is so, um. And I, you know, I've worked on shows that want a 14-page 11-minute, and I've worked on shows that have 19-page 11-minute. So it just, again, depends on the show. And if you're writing a spec for a show, uh, I would say try to get your hands on those scripts, right, and see what they are at. So, again, you can mimic that style. Yep, totally. But uh, how about you? Has there been a big range for you in in script length?
0: There has. I've done 38-page, 22-minute that was wow. the longest um yes. but we were it was a show where we like your Greg Wiseman scripts were calling mm-hmm. out every shot everything right mm-hmm. um and they didn't come in long after the board artists got a hold of them you know like they we that was after a process a of working out yeah and working out with the artists how long they needed to be more recently i've worked on 22 minutes where it was down to 25 26 pages mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um But they were completely different shows so Mm -hmm. right it makes sense yep totally yeah 11 minute i've has been more consistently in that 17 18 page
1: Mm
0: -hmm. range 14 Mm -hmm. made my stomach drop a little that's
1: yeah it's hard (laughs) that's very short yeah it's really short um and then think about adding a song to that and it's just oh my god oh yeah (laughs) after you've
0: done all the hard work of writing it, and then you get notes, what's your rewriting process? Do you sit with the notes
1: for a I while? I do. I do. I digest, right? Because everybody's first feeling, I think, when they get notes is like, ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You don't understand my vision. It was um, perfect. perfect. <laughs> it was. breaking me. Um Yeah, I. Uh, I think you should take that time for yourself and not email anybody. Oh, don't hmm. email anybody yet. Mm-hmm. Take that time be angry. And then as you process it, you'll start to realize, oh, they have a point a lot of the time. A lot yeah. of the time you'll see like, maybe this isn't the right fix, but I see why they're bumping on this and there might be a better way. And sometimes when you get a note that just seems just hellacious, what am I going to do? Some of the problem solving that you end up doing makes the script better in yeah. a way that you challenge yourself to, right? So yes, your script was great, but here is an alternate version. And, and I'm not saying that every note always makes a script better. Yes, <laughs> sometimes they do. Make it worse or as you feel, um, but again, you're executing someone else's vision. So you have to take the note and make the note work and remember that sometimes it's the spirit of the note, right? I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a fix might not be the right fix, but there's something there, uh, take a look at it. And are you able to
0: um, jump around at that point or like, let's say a note really blows up mm-hmm. a few scenes or mm-hmm. a whole through line in your episode. Right do you attack it the same way as the first time writing it or you start at the beginning and
1: and make your way through? Uh, That's interesting. I think I, I go, well, one of my big processes uh, for dealing with a kind of a problem in a script or a note is that I go for a lot of walks um, and, uh, and work it through. And I think that, or swimming also, like just having Mm. that physical activity um, is kind of putting blood all over and making your brain work. Um, And so, a lot of times if I have one of those giant notes, I will need at least a day to think about it, process it, problem solve it, take the shower, um, and then I will usually go back to the script and note up the script. Uh, mm, okay, how I will do the notes. So yeah, back to my pen and paper yeah um, i will I will story edit my own script with the notes, okay, and go execute them that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh you
0: said the magic word story edit when you're rewriting someone else's work. Mm-hmm. Is the process the same? Do you approach it the same way? Do you read through something first and then go back
1: to the top to before you start making changes? Do you make changes as you go? Sometimes I read through um, before going back and making changes. It's something that I am trying to encourage myself to do more. But when mm-hmm. I start reading something and I have a thought, I just have to jot it down. And so a lot of times I will be printing it out, and writing it down, or sometimes I'll use script notes in the document. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times I'll do it as I go. What you'll realize too is that you'll make a change, and then later on you'll be like, "Oh, that's why they did it." So then you have to go back, yeah. uh, which is which is a good argument for reading through. But at the same time, I love that first reaction, that first blush. It makes me feel like I'm catching things that I may be a nerd to after going through it already.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: how about you? Can you can you go through first?
0: I I try to. I definitely uh-huh. try to. But similarly, if I. Do catch something if I don't want to forget it, maybe, mm-hmm. um, then I flag it and then I might be in too deep at that point and start <laughs> making changes and forget to right. go back and just read it. Um, okay. but I've found when I have the self-control to read it first, it usually mm-hmm. uh is smoother, is a smoother mm-hmm. process for me to then go back. Go back and note, yeah. Yeah. What about when it comes to cutting and how to know what you can lose and what you should not lose as far as maybe like are you a jokes go first person to keep the story intact or do you combine scenes what's sort of your attack for that?
1: I think the first approach I have uh, when something's long is do we need this like I try to examine each scene and say could we start this scene later does this um mimic something else that happens later on or earlier in the script so do we need both beats um and so that's kind of my first prong of attack um but like as you say it's really easy to just throw out all the character moments in the comedy first to make sure the plot survives yeah Um, and uh i hate doing that because for me that's the best the character is the best part of the script
0: yeah um,
1: or the most engaging and uh so i try all of my little tricks that we talked about about how to shorten dialogue um but yes definitely looking at places to combine things um Maybe I have more than one joke, and I so I pick the strongest joke in the scene. That's another thing I'll do.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but cutting is the worst. <laughs> I know it's so painful. <laughs> it yes. hurts. Um, do you keep a Do you keep a running document like I try to keep one for whenever I cut a joke I love? It goes on that other like saved kind of scrapboard. Oh, and so maybe yeah. it will live again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do not. But that is a a very good idea because sometimes. Yeah, it, you hate to lose it and if you mm-hmm. could put it somewhere else it would Yeah. It would be great. It softens for, that sting
1: a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's definitely a band-aid <laughs> for okay. the moment. Um I think uh one thing I've been trying to do more of is is sneak some information from the plot into the joke so that mm-hmm. it can't be cut, which of yes. course, is, I mean, that sounds obvious that that's always the goal. It should, you know, jokes should have a purpose. But that's just something that I use to keep myself, I think, on track.
1: That's fantastic. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Like, if you can, whenever you can double up dialogue, right? So, like, de- developing or delivering plot and showing character or, you know, plot and joke or maybe all three, which is the the grand yeah. slam, definitely.
0: You already talked some about going for a walk or... Uh, stepping away in order Mm -hmm. to come back but are there any other things when you get totally stuck like have you ever had to just throw it out completely and start over or how do you does the deadline dictate you
1: (laughs) being able to keep going or are there other things you try yeah I'm very deadline motivated once that clock starts ticking it's terrifying um I am very reticent to ever just throw something out um and some people are incredibly good at that and can just say, all right, completely new take, let's go this way. So I think that that's an area I'm still growing and learning in because I will tenaciously cling to something that it worked, it should keep working. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so that can be a challenge, right? And then a lot of times you can solve that issue in your notes that you get on, the, on that draft. And then mm-hmm. suddenly they'll ask the correct question to make you say, aha, here's a new way in. Uh, it frees up my mind to like start problem solving again instead of just you know trying to throw away something that I feel is is great. Uh, another way that you can get through this this only works. I think if you have access to this and your' you know your show is going is going back and listening to an episode or watching an episode. yes, right. So get the character voices back in your head and then, you know it depends how bad it has gotten for you, but you can also just write a scene that's not in the script hmm. and present yourself a fun chance for these characters to have um, a discussion about something, you know? Yeah. Right. Like what is your favorite food? It's a stupid prompt, but maybe <laughs> one person is passionate about it and one person doesn't care. And what would that look like? I mean, words on a page, you know, is what we're, we're striving for no matter yes. how we get there. So sometimes that will unstick, you know?
0: Yeah. You get stuck. I have early on on shows, if we don't have anything recorded or I mean, mm-hmm finish episodes the best um yeah I'll go through and before I start my day read the showrunner story editors whatever Mm -hmm. they did most Mm -hmm. recently outline or script whatever I'm working on yeah to get their voice in my head right that usually will unstick me
1: or launch me into a good day of writing that's great that's great that makes a lot of sense too right because again we're trying to emulate their voice right we're trying to yeah tell the story that they want to tell.
0: Yeah, um, that makes me wonder. How do you balance matching their voice with bringing your own voice? You know, that, mm-hmm. that balance we're always trying to find of you hired me, so I want to bring you some of me, but I'm also just here
1: to match you. Right. That's so hard. And let me give you a woo woo answer. Yes. Um, <laughs> whenever I sit down to story edit a script, it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily making choices, I think. It's like when you listen to music and you know when a note is wrong or not, right? So you'll know as you're reading what's right or what's wrong for the character, you'll know it in your soul Mm
0: -hmm. and you'll be making
1: your changes based on that. And um, so hopefully you've helped your writer enough to understand the character, so that they're bringing their insight to further develop this character and make it resonate. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's what we're looking for. We're all, these characters exist. This is who we're servicing. But, you know, show me their other facets with your voice, right? Um, So a lot of times the show will be evolving together with the room. Yeah. And the first script that you write will look different from the 10th script. And when you start getting voice actors in there, then you'll start to write to their voice as well. Mm-hmm. That will also influence the development of this character. So um it's... So again, it's, it's not really a tangible answer, but I think you just know. And a lot of times a joke will be hilarious on the page, but doesn't, it stops everything. You can't do that. So you have to take that or, or this is not this character's voice. This is too harsh of a tone to take here. Mm -hmm. Great joke, but let's steer your voice more toward this. So,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, and one of the things that I try to do when I start out with my writers, and this is actually something I think I got from you, because we discussed what's what's helpful, right, for a story sure. you can do with their writer um, is to say, you know, here's why I made this change. Mm-hmm. Here's what, what you know, what bumped me about it. Or um, here's something to consider in the future as you continue to write. Uh, so I think kind of those touch bases will make sure that yeah. a person's voice is still coming through, but they are writing in the tone of the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And finally, how do you know when a script is done? <laughs> the deadline, the deadline, the deadline. Exactly.
1: but if yeah, thats a sign, the show <laughs> Fade out. So I am not big on noodling on my scripts because I do it constantly. I think, you know, we talked about like I will always start from page one and story edit. and then, okay, I've gotten to page ten and I'll write for the day. and then tomorrow I will read through again. And yeah. edit and start. So usually by the time I get to the end, it's gone through many passes for me. Um, and so I can do one last read, although usually you're completely brain dead at that point. Um oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh I try to catch all the typos because that's another thing that's really important to to do is that edit pass. So your your story editor just has one less thing to worry about. Um but uh that's usually when it's done for me. And it is super deadline driven. Yeah, you know? and um you're going to get another crack at it for sure, in the next draft. Yes, you want it as close as possible, absolutely. Um, but if you're stuck on something, you have to be able to push through it. I think that that's the thing that you remember. So yeah, get another crack at it. I actually, I wanted to ask you: is that is that, um, is that musical thing? Does that make sense to you when you're story editing? Is that how it is for you too? Or yeah, how do you know?
0: I think it's been interesting learning how I story edit I guess right. like it's yeah. it, and I'm glad you put it in those words because I haven't been able to put my finger on when I know something's wrong like it's hard for me to express it's just not right it's just not yeah. what the character would say because yeah. it does it yeah it is like a the wrong music note it just feels off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've found when I'm on the other side mm-hmm. even if they can't explain it like, I always just very closely read my version and then mm-hmm. the story edited version and see the changes they made. Right. To, so that I can get better to their voice for the next time. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not something they can explain, just seeing the specific example, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. That's how Tesh would say that. I Tesh. get it. Next mm-hmm. time I'll do it like that. No, but the music thing I like, um, that's definitely. <laughs> half mm-hmm. this. You're like, that's just the wrong note. I don't know it's like you just know it (laughs) on a deep
1: level. Yep. (laughs)
0: Yeah, totally. Um, to close, can you tell us
1: where people can find you on the internet or your work? Sure. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. Um, just at Nicole Dubuque. Pretty easy to find there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got stuff out right now. What's out? Um, Rocketeer is available on Disney plus a show that Kendall and I both worked on and that we love. Gosh, I'm totally spacing. I can't talk about the projects I'm on now because you course. know, yep. that's yep. how yes. that is. Um, yeah,
0: Rescue Bots is still on Netflix, right? All
1: right. Thanks for reminding me. Yep, Rescue Bots is on Netflix. Love that show. So good. Um, so yeah, that's that's what's that's what's Nicole out there.
0: And <laughs> any final words of advice for anyone maybe just starting out? That's like how how do I even?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I begin? Absolutely. And, you know, also again, caveat, everybody has their own advice. Take what resonates for you. Um, yeah. For me, I would pass on what Rick Oki said, which is just, you know, write something. You have to have something. I, I meet with a lot of people and they say, like I said, Oh, I don't have anything finished. You have to have something finished to show that this is in fact what you want to do. Cause you're going to have to finish things weekly. Um, yeah. When you have the, when you have the job, the second piece of advice I have is uh, to take notes, to be, able to get into a space where you can take notes because that is so much of this job um, and not taking it personally and not being combative about it um, because at the end of the day you know we're we're making these shows on a very fast timeline
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we have to do the notes that come from you know from the network who is financing this show this is their show so um, when you're certainly on that freelance level gotta take the notes um, and be prepared, I think is my, is my third thing that I would say. And, and part of that, I'm going to sing a scar song now, um, <laughs> <Please>. no. <laughs> part of that is, is having that, having that writing ready to go, yeah. but also when those opportunities present themselves, be there 110% for them. And that's, that's, you know, going out and getting that fax machine or borrowing your friend's fax machine, or, you know, doing whatever it takes to get to that job interview. Um, mm-hmm. Be the person who turns the stuff in on time. It's amazing, uh, you know how many of us miss deadlines. If you're the person who's hitting the deadline, you will get more work. Yeah. Um, so, those are kind of my my big picture advice things. Those are great. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Kendall. It was so great talking to you. I'm thrilled to be on your podcast and that you're doing this. It's uh it's awesome. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it.
0: And that is it for episode one of Type and Tunes. Thanks again so much to Nicole. She has been a mentor on and off the pod, and I so appreciate her sharing her wisdom on the episode. As always, you can email me with any questions or future episode topic suggestions at typeintunes at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at typeintunes. As I mentioned in episode zero, the Best way to get this podcast out there to help as many writers as possible is by sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I will be back in a couple weeks with new episodes.